but I like how real they are to the human experience and, and how no matter how much faith we think we have in God, when crisis hits, kind of everything changes and, and it gets real, real. And uh, I appreciate you guys singing that particular song. It's uh, where we find ourselves a lot. Just asking God when he calls us out to have the courage to go out and to actually do things that we would have never counted ourselves doing, for sure. Um, tomorrow morning at 11, uh, we're going to start the study. Bring your Bibles or a device with a Bible on it. The first three days, we're actually going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And then on the Thursday, um, the Friday, yeah, Thursday is the last day, right? Yeah, Thursday. Uh, we're going to talk about the book of Revelation, and so have your Bibles with you, and it should be sort of interesting. Um, the theme of the week, both then uh, in the mornings and now, is all premised on a really damaging idea in Christianity, and how it has done more damage, I think, to Christianity, at least in America, than any other bad idea. And the idea isn't necessarily false, it's just what we've done with it. And that idea is this. If you say the confessing prayer, you know, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm sorry, please forgive me, um, and I, I want you to be in my heart. If you say a prayer like that, that Jesus will come into your heart, and that's it. That's, that's your ticket um, from earth to heaven whenever your time is up, whether you die early or late or if Jesus comes back. The essence of the gospel we teach is that you get saved from whatever God's going to do to everybody at the end of time. And, and uh, you take comfort in that and you can bank on it and it's like your life insurance policy. And uh, what that idea has done has stolen, has, has completely ripped the power of the gospel to transform this world out of Christianity, out of the Bible, out of everything. Um, because we've made it all about us, and we've made it about how we get to go to heaven now, instead of what Jesus intended all along, which was the gospel is supposed to transform and revolutionize this world and make it better than it is. So every night we're going to talk a little portion of what our responsibility in this revolution is supposed to be. Um, Y'all been saved. I mean, you've been saved. The Bible teaches that before the foundation of the world, you were saved. I mean, God had your name written in the book of life. You came out of the womb and said that, and, and, and right away, boom, you're in. And really, the only thing you can do to get out is say, okay, blot me out, I don't want any of this, and he'll respect that. But, but, uh, but other than being saved, you have some other things to do. It was a night a lot like every other night. Um, they were out there doing what they were supposed to do. They were on the lowest rung of the totem pole socially, in town, um, the dung sweepers, these were people that would go through the cities around Jerusalem and sweep all the animal poo up. They were down there pretty low, but just above them 
were uh, the shepherds. And, and people, for some reason, shepherds used to be thought of pretty well. I mean, you read about them in the Old Testament, and Jesus said some nice things about them, which was cool, called himself a shepherd, but, but shepherds were not looked up to. They were looked down upon. And they were around the campfire talking politics and religion and all the things that good friends do around fires. And and I can imagine the conversation, well, what do you think about Pilate? I don't know. He's a Roman. But yeah, he seems to do some good things. Yeah, but I don't know. He promised to make Palestine great again. And I'm not seeing the progress. And and uh, yeah, well, what about Annas? You know, he's a good high priest, don't you think? Well, yeah, I, I used to think so, but I think he's in collusion with, I think they're all from the same party. It really doesn't matter. They all do the same thing. And, and they're talking and laughing and doing their thing. And there's a, a, a flash of lightning, they think. And as they look up toward whatever it is that they thought they saw, of course, they're just shaken to their core by the brightness and the beauty of what the Bible calls a heavenly host. In Luke chapter 2, if you want to follow along, starting in verse 13, it says, And suddenly there appeared with the angel who was talking to them a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The first thing I want you to understand is uh, we always say that it was a heavenly choir. It wasn't a choir. It was a heavenly host. And that's a military term. Um, this is the armies of heaven. This is the, this is the, these are all the Navy SEALs, and they're all up there, however Navy SEALs from heaven are dressed, and they're, 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 they're making an announcement. This host, I always thought that they sang, you know, cause that's, I, I like singing, and, and so I always thought they came in glory to God in the, and they're singing Handel's Messiah, you know, and, and even though Handel hadn't written it yet, but it was pre-inspiration, and, but that's not what happened at all. It doesn't even say they sang. They announce. The, the armies of heaven come and they actually make a battle cry. And what's the battle cry? What is their plan to wage war on earth? Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. This is the announcement. The battle cry. I mean, can you imagine any army in the world thundering in and surrounding a city and yelling, Peace! Okay, that's all. We're leaving now. Peace. That's the plan. That's the announcement. That's God's deepest longing for this earth. That the citizens of this earth live in peace. The Bible speaks about different levels of peace. One level for sure is, is national peace or world peace. Uh, I love that bumper sticker that, that uh, says world peace. <laughs> I like that one. World peace. God's thought is world peace. Jesus, I'm going to plunk you down here in this earth and the declaration is going to be peace and I want you to do your thing. I want you to spread peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And every time Jesus walks into a room, what does he do? Peace be with you. 
I mean, he's just always saying that. And after a while, you think maybe it starts to sink in. But it never does. Ever since that first brother killed that other brother and spilled blood, this earth has been in a world of hurt. And violence reigns not only in the world, but in our idea of even how to achieve peace. How do you get peace on earth? How how do you win peace with ISIS? You wipe them out. If you kill them all, then you get peace. And this is so stuck in our brain, we can't think of any other way. How do you get peace? You vanquish the other. But this is not God's idea of world peace. If you turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2, he talks about this. It talks about God's eschatology. You know, our eschatology uh, is affected by our ideas of peace and violence and everything. And basically, what we teach is Jesus is going to come back on a white horse and he is going to slaughter the world. He's coming to kill the world so that he can achieve peace for his people. That's what we teach. We keep forgetting that the sword that comes from Jesus isn't in his hand. It comes out of his mouth. It's the word of God. And he's drenched in blood on this horse. And we assume that it's the blood of his enemies, but the war hasn't even started yet. He's drenched in his own blood. Jesus rules from the cross. He doesn't rule from a horse with a sword in his hand. Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 2. Now it came about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the hills will stream to it. I love it. All the nations are going to stream to God's people to learn something in the last days. Verse 3, And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us concerning His ways. I wonder what His ways are. And that we may walk in His paths. I wonder what His paths are. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And He will judge between the nations. It sounds very end of time-ish, doesn't it? And will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. You ever heard that old song? Ain't going to study war no more. Ain't going to study war no more. For those of you that are older than 40, you remember that song. For those of you younger, you need to learn some of our songs. <laughs> the way of the Lord, according to this verse, even at the end of time, is peace on earth. Good will toward men. And in Israel's case... Peace wasn't something to be considered because they were focused on two things. They were focused on violence 
and greed. The only way to win independence from Rome is to vanquish Romans. If we kill all the Romans, then we can have peace. Hey, Jesus, you look like a pretty good weapon. You be our general. We'll go and fight. And every time a Roman sword kills us, just go, and we'll raise up again, and it'll be like night of the living dead for these poor Romans. I mean, we'll just slaughter them, and that's the way, the, the way of, that we think is you should do this. And Jesus says, man, you don't know anything about me. You don't know anything about the way I want to do things. This is the opposite of what I think you should be. They were focused on violence, and they were focused on greed. If I can acquire enough, if I can get rich enough, the Romans will be out of my hair. So they were kicking the poor and the marginalized to the curb, and they were acquiring more and more stuff for themselves. And a nation, any nation, that focuses on wealth and acquiring wealth and material things, In the Bible, that's called an idolatrous nation. In the Bible, that's called Babylon. And there is no peace in Babylon. For as long as human beings have collected themselves in groups of cities and states and become empires, they've been duped into believing that somehow, someway, peace can be achieved through violence and war. We read Daniel and Revelation and we see beast after beast after beast rise up and try and win the peace through war. And what happens? They get replaced by somebody else and somebody else. And then you end up in a big statue with different medals. It never works out. I mean, the winner in the end is that rock that smashes all of the empires and all of their ideas. And it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows until it takes over the whole earth. This is the kingdom that we're supposed to belong to. I mean, Jesus said it. Hey, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Peter, put your sword away. You're a lousy aim. I know you were going for the middle of his head and you could only get his ear. Trying to win the peace through violence just never works. There might be a moment when a battle is won and everybody takes a collective sigh of, but it never lasts. It's not peace on earth, goodwill toward men. In Luke 19, Jesus is riding along and he stops and he sees Jerusalem and he just breaks down and starts to cry. He's weeping. And he's weeping for a reason. He's weeping because the people that he was sent to don't get it. They don't want to hear his message. They don't want to collectively understand the teachings that he's brought from the Father to this earth that can turn Israel around, that can turn this whole world around. They are not buying it, and they want to kill him. And he's weeping, and as he weeps, he sobs out, these words, and if you've never seen this in Luke chapter 19, it's heartbreaking. Starting in verse 41, it says, When he approached, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, when he says even you, he said, You're my family, you're my peeps, you're my, even you, the things which make for peace. 
But now they've been hidden from your eyes. For the day shall come upon you when your enemies are going to throw a bank up before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they're going to level you to the ground and all of your children with you, he cries. And they won't leave one stone on another because you didn't recognize the time of my visitation. I tried to tell you the things for make, that make for peace and you didn't want to hear it. Mark Twain is one of my very favorite authors. I just love Mark Twain, mostly because he has cool hair and an awesome mustache. But he wrote this short story that was so controversial at the time that his family refused to allow him to publish it until after he was dead. And finally they published it. It was a written response to this story to the Spanish-American War, and some people might have said maybe the Philippine-American War. The story paints this picture of, of, of America going to war. Flags, American flags are lining all the neighborhood streets and, and all the young men are volunteering because their cause is a righteous cause. God wants them to go and fight for their country. And in this particular town, in this story, all the churches are full on Sunday. That's what happens when, when we go to war, you know, is there's, there's churches start to get full and we try to take advantage of that by preaching about the end of time. Anyway, um, all the churches are full and in this one particular church, as a pastor, the church is full and there's a bunch of soldiers, young men that are going to go off to battle and he preaches a sermon about, about God's nation uh, going to a holy war and then he bows his head and he prays a war prayer. And basically the prayer is something that, that we would expect. I mean, if I had a bunch of soldiers going to war from my church, I would bring them all up and I would pray God's safety and everything. But he also preached that, that God would give his country, the United States of America, the victory, and that the victory would be won over the enemies that these soldiers were going to go and fight. So as he's praying, his head is bowed, and, and, and his eyes are closed, and everybody's bowing their heads, a, a, a weird-looking, strange old man shuffles up beside him, a man that nobody has seen in that town before, and he stands beside the preacher. And when the preacher says amen, he looks up, and there's this man standing behind him. And the man motions for the preacher to get out of the pulpit because he wants to say something. And the preacher in the story is so shocked he doesn't know what to do, so he steps out of the way. And the man takes the pulpit, and he says, be careful what you pray. Because when you pray a selfish prayer, other people might be affected by your reward. And everybody looks at each other and they think, what in the world are you talking about? And then he says, when your pastor prays a prayer for victory, the victory prayer has another side to it. And you've all prayed that prayer, you just don't know it. And then he bows his head and says, shall we pray? And this is his prayer. Lord, our Father, our young patriots, idols of our hearts, they go forth into battle. Be thou near them. Great prayer so far. With them in spirit, we also go forth from our sweet peace of our beloved fireplaces. 
to smite the foe. O Lord our God, help us to tear their soldiers to bloody shreds with our shells. Help us to cover their smiling fields with pale forms of their patriot dead. Help us to drown the thunder of the guns with the shrieks of their wounded, writhing in pain. Help us to lay waste to their humble homes with a hurricane of fire. Help us to wring the hearts of their unoffending widows with unavailing grief. Help us to turn them out roofless with their little children to wander unfriended in the wastes of their desolated land in rags and hunger and thirst. Sports of the sun flames in summer and the icy winds of winter Broken in spirit, these orphaned children, worn with travail, imploring thee for the refuge of the grave, but you'll deny it. For our sakes, who adore you, Lord, blast their hopes, blight their lives, protract their bitter pilgrimage, make heavy their steps, water their way with the tears, stain the white snow with the blood of their wounded feet. And then he ends the prayer. We ask it in the spirit of love, of him who is the source of love, and who is the ever faithful refuge, and friend of all that are sore beset, and seek his aid with humble, contrite hearts. Amen. Twain ends the story with the people in the congregation looking at each other and shrugging their shoulders. And he ends it with this sentence. It was believed afterward that the man was a lunatic because there was no sense in what he said. See, peace for me and violence for somebody else is not God's dream. The angels didn't say, peace in your country and goodwill in your men, for your men. They said, peace on earth, goodwill to all men. If war achieves my peace, but leaves others broken and war-torn, it's not real peace. It's not God's peace. Jesus proclaimed that the way that we should be going is we should be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. We're called to be peacemakers, not just for ourselves and never through violence. God desires his children to be peacemakers, but not at the expense of others. It's supposed to benefit all. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Another kind of peace that Jesus talks about is the peace that uh, we can be at peace in the storm. I love the idea of Peter walking on the water in the storm, and then Jesus certainly gave him peace when he yanked him up out of the water. The other storm story that I love so much is when Jesus is at complete peace in the back of the boat, sawing logs, dreaming about heaven, and and, and, the, and the, the apostles are just freaking out, experienced sailor guys that are like, ah, oh, we're going to die. And they actually have to shake Jesus awake. He's that at peace. And he wakes up, oh, we're going to die, you got to save us. And I love that picture of Jesus walking up to the bow of the boat and putting his hands up and saying, peace, be still. And it just goes, whoosh. 
that's not the only time Jesus brought peace into people's lives. He did it all the time. Jesus, son of David, I can't see. you got to heal me, peace. Lady in a crowd crawling through all the feet and dust touches the hem of his garment, peace. Jesus was a peacemaker. The relief that any of us feel when people speak peace into our life is so important. When you go to the doctor and the doctor opens up a folder and says, hey, cancer's gone. Peace. You get that phone call, hey, you got the job. Peace. Your kid is going in a wrong direction, makes a critical decision for Christ and comes back the right direction and just embraces you and your family. Peace. We're supposed to be peacemakers, bringing peace on earth. Romans 12 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Romans 14, so then let us pursue the things which make for peace. Remember Jesus yelling and screaming and crying over Jerusalem. You didn't recognize the things that make for peace. Paul says in Romans 14, you got to pursue this thing that makes for peace. Hebrews 12, pursue peace with all men. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, it'll guard your hearts. The peace that passes all understanding. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat with folks that needed that peace. I was visiting a family in the hospital, and it was a church family, and the guy had a minor operation, but everybody was there, and I went in and I prayed like I'm supposed to because I'm a pastor guy and everything. And, and uh, I was leaving, and this nurse comes over and grabs me, and, and she goes, uh, you're a pastor, right? I said, who's asking? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> well, you're a pastor. Yeah, 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 I'm a pastor. I need you to come with me. Where, where are we going? Oh, there's a lady in her room over here, and she's going to die, and she's terribly fearful, and, and she's it's got so much anxiety. She's miserable, and I need, you to, I need you to settle her down. I said, you got drugs for that. And she goes, she's refusing all the drugs. <sighs> okay. You know, begrudgingly, the pastor goes to help somebody. And uh, I walk into the room, and there was this lady that was just a waif of a person. I mean, she was just lying in this bed quivering and, 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 and just could barely hold her, her garment on. She was so skinny, and you could tell that something like cancer had just eaten away at her. And I walked in, and I sat down, and I said, Hi, uh, my name's Mark. She looks at me, and she goes, Hi. Why are you here? Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, great, a pastor. There, that's all I need is a pastor right now. And I said, uh, um, can I, is there something I can help you with? No, I'm fine. Well, I was told that you know that you're going to die. I know I'm going to die. You afraid of dying? No, maybe, I don't know. You seem really anxious. You seem, you seem like you're angry. And she said, well, I am. And I am anxious. Do you want to tell me why? No. Like, I get paid 
a lot of money to sit in hospital rooms and find out why people are anxious. So maybe you should share with me. We argue back and forth for 20 minutes, and finally she breaks down and she goes, okay, you want to know why I'm upset? I'm upset because I'm going to die and go to heaven. Okay. <laughs> Seems like that's not an upsetting thing to me. You don't understand. My husband, not a Christian. Hell, I'm going to have to live in heaven the whole time while my husband is in hell. And I said, oh my goodness, that's horrible. Um, Give me your number and I'll go visit your husband. No, you moron, she says. He's been dead for 10 years. He's been in hell for 10 years. I said, well, that's, that's horrible. And she said, I know. He's been suffering. She starts to cry. I mean, she's breaking down. And I just feel so horrible that he's been in hell and, and he's going to be there for eternity while I'm next to Jesus for eternity. I don't want to die. I said, who told you your husband was in hell? She looks at me. She goes, are you a Christian pastor? I said, yeah. Well, the Bible! And I had my Bible with me, and I said, can I show you some stuff out of the Bible about hell that maybe nobody's ever shown you before? I've got nothing but time. (laughs) And I open the Bible in Genesis, and I go through the Old Testament, and I go through the New Testament, and, and through the book of Revelation with her. Spent a good hour in Scripture with her. And I show her the beautiful truth about God and the end of time and the truth about hell and what happens to you when you die. And she started to cry. And she said, I'll never forget these words. I did a whole sermon series on this. God is better than I thought he was. And her demeanor changed and she relaxed. And I gave the nurse my number. Tell me. Nurse calls me about two hours later. I don't know what you did. But that lady was at peace and she embraced death and fell asleep. And I've never seen somebody die more peacefully. See, peace is what we are supposed to be bringing to this earth. And anything we teach about God that doesn't promote that peace maybe ought to be re-examined. What we teach about God is supposed to bring peace, but even more than that, and sometimes the most difficult, and I know it's difficult, is that we're called to be peacemakers. And I'm just going to tell you, being a peacemaker is not easy because when you are a peacemaker, that means you're standing between two people that are not interested in peace, two things that are not interested in peace. Being a peacemaker is hard. I was in Santa Rosa, California at a big five looking for shoes for my wife for a Christmas present because she likes shoes. And she's she's got some. And she's a certain size and she has a certain width of foot and everything. And so I was in there looking for this walking shoe that she wanted and they didn't have it. 
And I'm walking out. I bought something else for my son, and I had a package with me, and I had my keys out. I was ready to get in my car, and I looked up because I heard um, screaming. I heard screaming and swearing and foul language, and they were, they were people that were using creative things in their words, uh, you know, about their, each other's families, and there were these F-bombs being thrown all over the place. And I looked up, and there was a guy that looked like to be in his late 20s and a woman that looked like it could have been his wife or girlfriend. And they were engaged at screaming at a guy probably about my age, early 30s. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and he was a skinny little guy. The guy, the younger guy, looked like he worked out. He was a big, bulky kind of looking guy, and like Phil Rosberg. And, uh, and, and they were going at each other. And... Uh, and I didn't, I, I didn't, you know, I, I, it looked like they were going to start throwing down and, and, and hitting each other. And, and my first instinct was to turn around, go back in the store and wait it out because it's none of my business. I don't know what they're arguing about, but, you know, wait until the police come and clear it up because they were actually blocking my car. And, uh, and then my second thought was, wait a minute, you idiot, you have your phone, you should YouTube this and, and, and it'll go viral and you'll be famous. And, and I thought, that's a really good idea. And, and I started reaching in my phone when Jesus said, no, blessed are the peacemakers. And I had been preaching this series on peace in my church, and, 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 and it was weighing heavy on me, and Jesus said, be a peacemaker. And I literally prayed the prayer, Lord, what would you have me do? And the answer I got was, you should sing a Christmas carol. <laughs> and God doesn't talk to me audibly so that I hear him or anything, but I just knew I was supposed to sing a Christmas carol. And I felt dumb because I'm not much of a singer, and, and, and I, don't, I don't, you know, I had, I had recently watched Elf, and I thought, you know, Christmas cheer, and maybe that was influencing God's voice in my life. And, and so I thought... I thought, doggone it, a Christmas carol, what Christmas carol? And I ran through Rudolph, no, that's probably not a good one. And, and so I start walking toward these people that are ready to fight, and, and I started to sing, Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. And I'm walking toward them and singing at the top of my lungs. And they're, you know, son of a blisket-eating dog hound, and they're ready to throw down, and, and one guy's got his phone up like this, and they're, you know, and, and uh, they're screaming and yelling, and I'm just singing this Christmas carol, walking toward them. And I, and I get to the second verse, he rules the world, and now I'm standing this far from them while they're screaming, and, and, and I'm just standing there with a smile on my face and a bag in my hand and my keys singing and smiling. <laughs> And the older guy keeps looking at me, and, and, and finally he backs off and he turns around and he walks into the store. And the big guy and his wife turn and they look at me, and I thought, oh, I'm going to get hit so hard. And, and, and I just keep singing, and I'm singing, man. And, and, he, and, and I get to the third verse, and I don't know all the words, so I'm making stuff up, and, and, and I'm smiling and singing. And he looks at me, and he just gets really mad, and he flexes, and I think, this is going to hurt so bad. And finally, he just looks at me, and he goes, what the hell, man? And he turns, and he gets in his car, and he drives off. He drives off. And I'm 
I'm sweating bullets, man. I, and I get in the car, and, and, and I'm shaking, and, uh, and I pray. I said, what was that? <laughs> Sing a song. It made peace. God calls us to be peacemakers. He doesn't call us to be violent and respond in violence. He doesn't create, call us to create strife. This whole world is about creating strife. Turn on AM radio to some political idiot, and they're going to make you feel strife, and they're going to make you hate the other. Turn on your TV news and watch whatever program you're way into, and, and they're just going to make you hate the other. They're, they're, they're all about creating the strife. You're right and they're wrong and they should be vanquished, either politically or, you know, it'll get to the point in our country probably where other things happen. I hope not. I think the, 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 the first key to, to winning the war, that war proclamation that the angels made, is that we have to be all about the peace. You're already saved. Don't worry about that anymore. How are you going to change the world? Well, you're going to be all about the peace. Your life is going to be peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's the revolution. That's what Jesus was trying to get across to people until they got so angry at him that they had to violently kill him and put him on the cross. He could have fought back. He could have won the peace by going like that and stopping their hearts. But he had to let evil run its course. And he had to say, listen, here's what I'm all about. That's what the world's all about. That's what Satan's kingdom is all about. What are you going to buy into? What are you going to own for yourself? And he invites us, open arms, blood-covered, Join the revolution. Join the cause. Be peacemakers. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we confess we've bought into it. We've bought into our righteous cause. We've bought into nationalism to the point where we think we're right and the whole world is wrong. We've bought into the idea and celebrated the idea of vanquishing the other. We keep forgetting that they're all your children. Lord, help us to embrace peace in our lives. Help us to never use violence or intimidation or coercion, especially with your name attached to it. Help us to embrace peace as we embrace your son, Jesus. Amen.